This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome everybody uh, to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I've been on the road in and out, uh, meeting with Patrick, goofing off. Not really. No, I've been all over the country and we'll have to excuse Patrick today. He had a, uh, a commitment come up. So it is me here today talking to you about, well, what David does normally, outdoor stuff. So I've been all over the country this spring, Total Archery Challenge, shooting my bow, talking about bow spider. Definitely want to Uh, check that out here pretty quick i am going to put down the bow and pick up the fishing rod and go do a little fishing so if you're uh itching to get out and about guys it's uh summer's in full swing so grab a grab some burgers sprinkle some high mountain seasoning on it grab a couple pk lures go to the lake make sure your bow's tuned up and ready to go because uh tag results are out you should have a pretty good plan for what your season is i'm still trying to debate on uh do i do 10 days here 12 days there two days here but uh, i digress i didn't draw much wonderful so hopefully somebody out there listening is like oh, i did good for you uh tag us in some pictures and photos in the comment please excuse patrick for the day we'll miss his absence but i do have a guest amy and she is with bow hunters united uh we've chatted back and forth and corresponded bow hunters united is kind of the uh i'm gonna call it the non-profit wing of ata is that is that correct so i'm gonna let you kind of you know give us an idea of what Bowhunters United is, why you're even remotely involved, why you're excited to be part of it, and, you know, a quick snippet on what the ATA is and why people should join. So uh, my name is Amy, and I'm the marketing and communications manager for the Archery Trade Association, and I run our brand Bowhunters United. And so Bowhunters United is a national organization for all bowhunters, no matter how you participate, whether it be compound, recurve, crossbow we're the organization that ties everyone together and mostly what we do is we protect bow hunters rights at the state and federal level so what the ata is is the ata is the archery trade association and the ata is the association that brings all of the manufacturers distributors retailers um, all the guys that make up the archery industry together and we help them with their businesses and promoting the sport of archery and bow hunting um, and I am super excited to be part of the APA and Bow Hunters United, not only because, you know, bow hunters are out there making a difference, um, but just our as a whole, it's a great uh, place to be. That's awesome. So, I mean, Bow Spider has been an ATA member for several years now. I will give a shout out to, I got a hold of... Um, ATA's annual kind of market report way back in college when I first started my business proposal for Postbiter and you know some of the data was really relevant to applicable you know when you're when you're starting a business you got to get financing and funding and you better know what you're talking about and market size and value and you know engagement rates so ATA is obviously an organization that's been around for a while why did Bowhunters United start so Bowhunters started because you know, the archery industry, you know, we have our archers and our bowmen. And so a lot of the consumers of the manufacturers, dealers, distributors, all those guys that make up the APA, 
their end consumer is the bow hunters. So we provided a space for all of the different bow hunters to come together, you know, to learn more about the sport, protect it, promote it, preserve it. And ultimately what we're doing is we're trying to protect bow hunters' rights at that legislation table. And so we met and talked about, um, I think it was in Oklahoma. There was some legislation going on here recently, and I can't quite put my finger on it. What was it? It was the inclusion of air guns or air bows into the archery-only season. And, I mean, it, if you don't know what an air gun or air bow is, basically you stick a arrow in the front of a CO2-charged launcher, and it takes minimal to no practice, right, and has extremely great accuracy and, and further distance. So it, it takes a lot of the challenge out of the sport. And as a manufacturer, you know, I, I like to see innovation. I like to see new products. But as a bow hunter, as a heritage, I mean, there has to be a line in the sand. I.e., we could put a mini arrow with uh, <laughs> some sort of tranquilizing, you know, on, on a drone. And I could use thermal imagery to fly up above an animal and tranquil tranquilize it right there and walk up and harvest it is that truly hunting and i mean everybody listening would scream no well if we if we use the complete um capability of our technology i can sit from home on my computer with a drone and go out and harvest my elk and that's not that's not what we're trying to promote protect engage that doesn't get people off of the screen that actually promotes them to be on the screen even more and the data and science showing you know, just eye degeneration, just overall mental health. Screens are not good for us. We're not meant to be indoors looking at a screen 365. Unfortunately, your job, my job, you know, head of social media marketing, uh, my my company markets very heavily on on social media and, and YouTube. So we have to be privy, part of, and capable and able. But I know you like to get out in the field and, and go. So tell us what you like to do out in the field. So what I like to do out in the field, so um, I grew up in a really rural part of town. Um, My dad always was a bow hunter, rifle hunter, like you name it. He probably hunted it, but he really got me into the sport of hunting. And we've shared a lot of memories, whether it be over whitetails, you know, doves. Um, We've gone to Canada a few times to go black bear hunting. We're actually going in October and I'm really excited, but um i've just really enjoyed growing up in the outdoors and sharing a lot of memories with my dad and and eating the stuff (laughs) the wild game on the table afterwards that's a pretty um nice part of it too perfect segue so what is if you had to pick one thing to procure what are you going to go out and harvest and how are you going to cook it yeah so if i could go out and shoot one thing i would probably go out and shoot a big fat doe, (laughs) I would take those loins off of her, slice them and butterfly them. And then my dad always made this for me, like growing up, Um, he would always, you know, marinate them for a few days, get them really tender. And then you throw them on the blackstone flat top um, with a whole bunch of seasonings and a little bit of breading. And then you put, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. So we have Emo's Provel cheese. So then after it's all cooked up, you put Provel cheese on it and eat it with peppers, onions, potatoes. So good. So hearty. <laughs> sounds sounds lovely. Sounds wonderful. A little bit of prep, but delicious, right? Yes. 
as you're going out there in the field now and promoting the business, what are some things, you know, as you're promoting conservation and bringing these um, issues state by state case basis to the forefront, what are some similarities you're seeing out there that we need to be aware of? So there's a lot of people out there that are like anti-hunters and things like that. And they try to bring to the table items that would not be beneficial for bow hunters or our conservation. And so there's, you know, many similarities that are coming to the table constantly with kind of the same things like don't hunt, don't, um, you know, cause any issues or well-being. To, to further extrapolate on that, you know, I've seen this premise, this thought, this idea that we as humans who engage in harvesting animals are harming nature, right? Whereas somebody who's just a hiker, photographer, bird watcher has no impact. They're not harming nature. And the difference, and, and that, that premise is faulty, 100%, right? You have an impact on nature. There's more deer killed by cars than there are hunters in this country. So you are having an impact, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. We just choose to acknowledge that we're having that impact. And I'm glad that Bowhunters United is coming to the forefront and starting to gain some traction because the other side is very united in their defense against removing our rights. And they are adamant. They've said to me more than once, they're fine with a government agent coming in and removing a hundred animals, but they don't want a hunter to come in and remove one. Right. That premise long-term is not good for us, right? So Bowhunters United is bringing some of these issues to the forefront. Are there some other ones that are coming up that people need to be aware of? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so by joining and being a member, you're going to get to know what's going on in your state, right? Because sometimes awareness is the first key. So is there any other issues like the Airbow that have come up to the forefront that Bowhunter United is working on? Yeah, so we have a newly one, and it's um, going on in Minnesota. We have a new action alert out. And so I'll give us a little bit of background on um, our action alert system. So, you know, us as Bowhunters United and the Archery Trade Association, we use our inaction to be the inside ears on what's happening at the legislation table. And so we're able to provide our members with all of the information that they need to know on what's affecting the bow hunting community. So we have an action alert system that's part of your membership. And the action alert system, basically, we do all the research. We stay in tune on what's going on. We give you a a description. You put your name, email, location in, and then we write a pre-written email. And then you just press send directly to your legislator. And it will tell your legislator, like, hey, please support this piece of conservation because it's great for bow hunters or please don't because it infringes on my bow hunting rights and it's a really bad for the wildlife in my area. So that's the big part of bow hunters United and a membership benefit is our action alert system. And so last month we did have the Oklahoma airboats issue and we had a super great victory with that. All of our members got involved who were in Oklahoma and they sent our pre-written message to their legislators saying, no, do not put, um, do not have, the inclusion of airboats into the season because it infringes on my rights like it will not be good for us and we did have victory with that and we also went to the total archery challenge where um dave was and we got other people who weren't bow hunters united members involved and 
um, killing that legislation. So that was a huge victory for us. So how does somebody become a member of Bowhunters United? So you can become a member by going to bowhuntersunited.com. And it's a yearly membership. It's only $25. There's a lot of perks. Of course, the action alert system. And then you get a hat, decals, stickers for your bow cases. Um, we have partnered with deer and deer hunting this year. So you get six issues throughout the year and that has our exclusive content in it. Awesome. So you're going to get some swag, you're going to get up to date action alerts, and you're going to get a magazine with some great info. I know that, um, at some point in time, Bowhunters United is going to partner with Bow Spider and we're going to be doing some cool giveaway stuff there. So you can hop on over to Bow Spider and check them out. We're going to support you guys because it's a great, I I don't have time to figure out what's going on across all 50 states, right? I don't, I would have had no idea having not been at TAC, having not been Oklahoma, that this was an issue. But by being a member, now I get an alert and, you know, while I don't get to vote in that state, I can also I can obviously voice my opinion and social media is super powerful in today's day and age. And that's something I want to talk about is, you know, while it's a great tool, it's also a tool we as bow hunters need to be very cognizant of what we're posting, how we're posting the reverence and respect we need to show for the wildlife. And right. not everybody's used to seeing tenderloins removed from a deer and, and put on a skillet. You know, it's a it takes a, a little bit of uh, time to get used to that process, but I ultimately believe in everybody should be privy to where their protein comes from. Right. If you're not, you're just hiring a hitman to go do it for you. <laughs> Absolutely. And is it the most glamorous, clean, glorifying process? No. I mean, at the end of the day, something is losing its life to sustain right. yours. I'm not trying to sit here and re- say we need to recruit 95% more people into bow hunting because, well, I like to go to my spots and not have people there, but I want 95% of the people out there to not be against me doing that. That is that aspect of that social media. It is both good and bad, double-edged sword. The antis love to get a hold of any, any little toehold they can and, and blow up, you know, and so we need to we need to join together. We need to stand up and say, no, we are going to continue to do this. And this is long-term sustainable. And we have the data to prove that. So, I mean, I'm glad you're part of Bowhunters United. I'm glad you're out there promoting it. I'm super excited to work with you. I mean, it's awesome that you can come on the podcast. What are some hunts you're looking at forward to doing besides the black bear hunt with your dad? Oh, so I mostly kind of just stick to Missouri. <laughs> Um, but other than um, the black bear hunt in Canada, um, I'll probably do some whitetail hunting. I like to go bow hunting more than I do firearm hunting just because um, it is warmer. <laughs> it's warmer. Um, okay. Not as many people out there. So, um, yes, I do enjoy um, whitetail hunting. Um, I did a little turkey hunting um, this past season. So, um, yeah. Kind of just white tails and turkeys and doves. There's definitely a different. There's definitely a different atmosphere when you go from a firearm hunt to an archery hunt, right? the The intensity of how much closer you are to the animal, the connection with nature. While I'm not going to um, discount that you can't have a great time, dove, shotgun, duck you know, deer, elk, antelope with a rifle and a firearm, especially if you're taking new people, youth, you know, that is definitely a go-to and I'm not going to knock that. But for me personally, 
the excitement level increases when I'm going to go, whether it's sit in a stand, spot and stock, when I'm going to take my bow and arrow and, you know, you're automatically attempting to do something that is very difficult, right? Instead of staying back at lethal range with a firearm and, and wildlife doesn't know you're there, you're now trying to get into their wheelhouse, their danger zone where they would notice a predator and you're trying to harvest them with a stick and string. And that is not, it's not a sure thing, right? So to make it a sure thing, you have to put a lot of time, energy, effort, practice into it. So talk a little bit about what is your bow setup that you've found to be reliable? And what do you, what do you, when you're going to go sit in the woods for deer, what's some of the gear you're going to take with you? Yeah, so I am by no means an elite archer or bow hunter. I actually picked up a compound bow probably about two years ago and I have um, I got a new rig this past spring and I have an elite ember so I have been practicing with that to get ready for the season and for my bear hunt I really love my elite it's a really good bow and I haven't killed anything with it but I'm excited to go kill something with it but I'll kind of recap on kind of what you're saying with bow hunting versus firearm hunting is that you know whenever I went this past fall bow hunting I came back and I told my dad I was like this is the hardest thing I've ever done like it is super hard compared to firearm hunting your whole life and it's because they know you're there you have to be very strategic with when you're pulling back and when you're going to shoot and you know just the overall like you have to have a game plan going in and it has made me a better hunter because of that I guess I would say Archery is chess and rifle is checkers, right? You still have to play a game. You still have to know what you're doing, but archery, you, you're playing the long game and you're, you're learning every time you go out. Rifle hunting sometimes can be a little bit more of just a harvest and a freezer filling ad, ad, adventure, which like I said, when I take my young boys, of course, we're going to, you know, we're going to take the rifle and, and it is important to pass this tradition and heritage on, right? I'm, actively promoting that as much as I can through our company, me and personally, individually is taking new people, exposing new people. That's part of what this podcast is about is just getting awareness of that. This is uh, here at Bow Spider, archery is not what we do. It's, it's who we are. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, we don't buy beef. We don't go to the grocery store. And I mean, if, if you're having brats at my house, we made them. If you're having jerky at my house, we made it. When we have spaghetti, it's deer or elk spaghetti, right? It's, we ground the burger. We made the burger, right? So there's a different level of connection when you go to that freezer and you pull out a pound of burger. You don't unwrap it from the cellophane, have no idea where it came from, mix it, make spaghetti and go, oh, look, I made spaghetti. No, it's, my boys and I sat down and we trimmed it up and we ground the burger. And then we unthought, and then we make the spaghetti and they know, you know, field the table where dinner came from and they know that connection and that reverence and that respect that we all have. So growing up, were you involved in that same stuff? Yeah. So, um, my dad and my family does the same, but I was, um, brought up. My godparents are butchers. Um, so at the age of 14, my dad went and dropped me off there. And during deer season, we would bring in around, I don't know, probably 700 deer per season. Um, And so it was a great, you know, experience just to see how, you know, 
all of these hunters bringing in these animals and then from I know how they're killed I've been out in the woods I know how the hunt goes but then bringing it into like a processor for some of those who don't um, know how to do it at home when they bring it to the processor and then you break the whole deer down and now you see you know the cleanliness of how some people clean their deer versus the other and then you know breaking it down and then put it in the freezer and then like seeing them so excited to take it home. That was a really awesome thing to experience, especially with just like not only deer, but, you know, beef, pork and all the other things that we did really translated into making me a better, you know, butcher at home and doing those same things. Go-to knife for uh, doing that work. Do you have one that you like? I do not have one that I have a preference over. But just you... whatever. <laughs> yeah, you you are prepared when you go get that bear to bring some meat home, right? You are prepared when you go out and get a deer to bring some meat home and you're you're capable and competent to do it. A hundred percent. There was so many times and I'm not, you know, shaming those who don't know. They just need an educated teacher. But there were so many times that I did work at the processing plant that, you know, during youth season or deer season that some like older gentlemen, whether they be in their twenties, thirties, they had never field dressed a deer and they would come up with their trailer with their deer on it and say hey can I pay you 20 bucks to field dress this and I would say you know I will help you and I will teach you but like you're go- you're gonna do it you need to learn how to do it because you just can't go out there and shoot an animal and not know what to do with it after that just like I said with bow hunting you gotta have a game plan gotta have a game plan and that's one of the favorite meats on on the podcast is antelope meat but the majority of the time you're harvesting antelope in the heat not not just warm but in the heat you know up to 100 degree days you would never if if you took your antelope here in wyoming whole to a butcher and said hey let's field dress this here it's it's not going to make it you're not driving two hours and we've talked about it you know having that game plan my game plan is we take a tripod so we can get that antelope up off the ground. We have a bucket. So, I mean, it's the tripods on the back of the four-wheeler buckets there. We have uh, ice and coolers, and that antelope is dissected and on ice in minutes. And if you get that meat cooled out on ice, it's some of the best. And people turn their nose up and look at me all the time. I've had doll sheep. I've had, you know, eland. I've had kudu and gemsbuck and you know, black bear and mountain goat and moose. One of the top ones is antelope. I'll put a couple above antelope and doll sheep, pretentious, I know. Eland is amazing. If antelope is taken care of right, I'd put it above white-tailed deer. I'd put it above elk. I'd put it on par with moose. However, you have a 90-pound animal that's, you know, it could be a 100-degree day, so you need to have a game plan. Take the ice, have the coolers, know how to do that. You know, there's obviously a lot of resources out there and I'm glad butchers exist. And uh, as a young man, we used butchers, but start looking at the cost of having somebody do that and the time. And I just, we have a couple folding card tables here at the shop and we come home typically with an elk that's already quartered and skinned. You know, that's just how they come out of the woods and where we're going. It's just as easy to have some cutting boards and knives and a a grinder and a vacuum packer. And uh, the one thing I've been fired from is I'm no longer my, uh, my dyslexic handwriting. I'm not allowed to label the packages. So we have, we make a little production line with the whole, the whole family and it's one end to the other. And 
it's cut and wrapped and in the freezer. And I mean, all year long, like I said, whether we're having Thanksgiving roast or spaghetti or steaks on the, uh, we, we got the Green Mountain Grill. It's going to be most likely elk. And then there's some deer in there somewhere. And if we're lucky to get an antelope tag, then, it, then it's antelope. Very nice. So, well, keep keep going after them. Keep, keep getting it up. Um, please keep keep us informed in what's going on with these emergency alerts with Bowhunter United. Keep growing it. Where can people reach out, get a hold of Bowhunters United? Where can they join and sign up? Yeah, you can join or find out more about us at bowhuntersunited.com or we're on Facebook and Instagram at Bowhunters United. That's pretty easy. We'll put some links in there, guys. Any any final thoughts? Any any last bits of tips or tricks or wisdom you have for us? The only thing that I would like to mention is to stay tuned, especially in your area, because we are going to have an action alert coming out um, regarding wolves and keeping the management strategies in the state's hand instead of the federal government across the northern Rockies. That's an important... We, we fight and deal with that all the time, and I'll tell you... Uh, that's a very frustrating stance from a resident here in the state. When wolves were first introduced, the recovery mandate and bar was set at 10 breeding pair and something like 120 wolves. That was considered reintroduced and stable. That was the original agreement. The other side of the aisle has moved the goalposts so far. We are now at 1,500 wolves and 140, 150 breeding pairs. And they're now trying to take state management away and put it back in federal hands. And if you look here in Wyoming, we've had a stable wolf population for the last four years since we've got three and a half, four years now. We've had management on the state level. Wolves are not in danger, people. I don't know what headline you're reading. I don't know where you're going to get your information. And same thing with grizzly bears, same thing with all wildlife should be managed by the people who are hired, educated, and paid to manage the wildlife. It's, it's as simple as that. And if you think putting management back in the federal government's hands, they don't know what the wolves need here in Wyoming. They're in Washington, D.C., yep. and they're just adding another level of paperwork. You know, sometimes a pack of wolf are down on a cattle rancher's ground and they're killing 30 elk in a night and leaving the carcasses and there's photos of this, right? They're doing it just for fun. And the other side say, oh no, that's not true. You know, they want to talk about this holistic ecosystem where all the animals are running out in the woods holding hands and singing kumbaya and that's not the way it works. I mean, I'm going to get a little graphic here, guys, but a wolf kills through suffocation. They're either going to hamstring the animal, so they're going to run up behind it and they're going to bite it in the hamstrings until it can no longer run and lay down and then they're going to suffocate it which i.e. means throat nose, or if it's a big, big animal, they're just going to hold on to the throat and nose, kind of like a lion in Africa, and suffocate it. If they can't do that, mm-hmm. they'll disembowel it and eat it while it's alive. So this is not pretty. This is graphic, and this is not quick and clean and and harmless. This is, this is you know, and if, if human beings interrupt this, they'll, they're not going to come back after that animal for a day or two. Right. If they get if you come and have your prize steer in, in the pen and wolves have come in here and, you know, if you're in downtown New York, I get it. You don't understand. You know, you walk to the grocery store to the butcher and you buy your beef that was trucked in on a train that was grown out here. But you live out here. I mean, there's videos out there of dogs in the front yard, wolves coming in and just 
they won't tolerate another predator and your your little fido is gone he's done i i'm sorry you got me on a tangent but wolves uh wolves and wolf management uh, my plan this fall is to put some steel in the ground and i'm going to go catch a wolf in and and this is something that we've talked about before with dan thompson the large um, carnivore biologist for the state he's kind of you know dispelled some myths but it comes down to we should celebrate the fact that wolves are reintroduced now have grown to a point where they're stable to where they can be back under the wildlife management model the north american model where they are no different than a squirrel a rabbit a pheasant a turkey you know and that's that is something we should herald as sportsmen as we did that in your and my generation, we brought wolves back to a sustainable point that they are now on the landscape and can be managed with all the management tools, whether that's collaring, relocating, whether that's darting, whether that's, you know, hands-off approach or hands-on approach, it doesn't matter. And hunting is one of those tools. And I do know that the difference between grizzly bears in the GYE and the and grizzly bears on Kodiak Island or interior Alaska or even BC grizzly bears in in places where they're hunted are very good at avoiding human conflict because they 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 realize they're no longer top of the food chain. Grizzly bears here right. in the GYE are not good at avoiding conflict. In fact, they seek out conflict and long term that's not good for humans, hikers, people and the idea of well we they were there first. You know, Detroit, Oklahoma City, all that was grizzly bear country. There was grizzly bears wandering around there hundreds of years ago are we going to destroy the city roll it up and go live back in teepees like like indigenous used to and if you i'll be the first one to sign up for that lifestyle let's roll the sidewalks up let's park the cars permanently i'd love to ride my horse to work and not have to get on the phone i'd love to just go be hand to mouth every day and okay today i'm hunting here and here i'm going there unfortunately we now live in a modern age where that's not gonna happen it's not realistic we have to i guess find that middle common ground find the spaces that we can have wolves and have them there but just saying that oh we're gonna have an unchecked unregulated population of wolves it's not gonna work it will not work you you get what you see in california with mountain lions they're coming in people's backyards and snatching dogs and cats, pretty soon it's going to be people. Um, as, yep. as they get more emboldened and, and more used to coyotes in Las Vegas, Nevada are hopping six foot cement walls and jumping in people's backyards to pick up cats. It's just, it is back to what I said earlier, we as humans, whether we are actively engaging in conservation and the sports north american wildlife conservation model or whether we're you know bystanders and watching it you do have an impact if you drive through yellowstone national park take picture of an elk you drove on a road that wasn't historically there that blocks migration routes that kills animals through vehicle mortalities you do have an impact whether you want to acknowledge it or not so let's figure out how to mitigate those circumstances and keep healthy wildlife populations. And so I'm glad you guys are out there fighting the good fight and bringing awareness to this stuff. That doesn't excite me that wolves are, they always have been, always will be controversial. I've heard ranchers scream, shoot, shovel, and shut up. And I don't, I don't um, adhere to that model. I don't believe that that's the way forward. On the other side of the coin, I don't think that hands-off approach to an apex predator that's a carnivore on the ecosystem is going to be healthy. Right. So absolutely. Okay. Well, 
Um, thanks for bringing that we to our attention. We'll stay tuned, and I will share it out when it when it comes available. So if you guys are out there listening, go join Bow Hunters United. Get involved in some aspect. Definitely take a kid outdoors hunting or fishing. I mean, it has a lasting lifetime impact. You, as an example, are in a job, in a career, in a field that is doing something to increase your passion, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was it was me, and then it was firearms, and now I'm in the archery industry. So, yeah, what's more American than that? So, well, you started as a as a young kid at, at a butcher shop, seeing these deer come in, and so did you naturally progress to wanting to go in the woods, or were you already going in the woods? Um, I was already going in the woods. And yeah, it was kind of just like a full circle thing just to see everyone else like bringing their animals in and then they're like, okay, like do your thing. And it's like, I feel like everybody should have this skill, but you know, some people just, you know, don't have the ability to do it or resources and yeah, we just made it happen. Uh, I can remember one of the first deer my dad harvested, we took to a butcher and <laughs> you walked in the door, he weighed your deer. He goes, okay, it's so much pounds. He walked over to the freezer, pulled meat out and said, here you go. Here's this much cut weight. And I went, wait a second, hold on. That's our deer. And this is somebody else's deer. I don't know that that deer didn't sit in the back of a truck for, you know, however long, or, you know, what was its body condition or what was the field dressing condition of that deer? And so we then went to a butcher that was, you drop your meat off, they put it in a tote you came back a week later, it was labeled, it was your deer, right? So gone are the days of the trade butchers. I, I don't think anybody really subscribes to that methodology anymore. I I certainly wouldn't. And for your first couple harvests, sure, find a, find a local butcher. You know, I used a butcher on Kodiak Island this fall. We got off of the float plane trip hunt. I had seven hours to get on the plane and fly back down to the state. So I didn't have access to the grinder, the vacuum packer, the meat, the cutting board, the table, right? That takes or the time and capability. So yeah, I dropped it off at a butcher and I said, make me jerky snakes, take me snack sticks, make me some ground, make me some butterfly steaks. And so occasionally even I still subscribe to that model and it's a, it's a good That's way to not- go. There's nothing wrong with picking that back up and going, hey, I harvested this I, and go home, make your spaghetti. But I would challenge anybody who's done that a few times that wants to know more. And with with LEM equipment, you can you can get you a pretty good meat cutter, meat grinder, vacuum packing deal for, for not a whole lot of expense. I mean, under $1,000, you can get stuff to start doing your own packaging. And it doesn't take too many deer to wear your money ahead on buying your own equipment. And I will note that you know, Bow Hunters United is for, you know, the hardcore bow hunter, but we do have a lot of great resources just to amplify your tips and tactics for bow hunting. And so that we cover tips and tactics, whether it be from, you know, preparing your land or, you know, pre- like field dressing and preparing meat and um, meals, recipes, um, target practice, um, anything that has to do with bow hunting, we cover. So that is also included in the um, membership and on our website. Awesome. Well, I mean, the, the most important piece is that action alert, but there sounds like there's a lot of other facets. So go out, get involved, join up guys, check them out, see what they're doing, right? They're doing good things with your funds. They're not, they're not going out and, uh, and squandering them They're They're utilizing that resource to bring something good to bear. So Amy, I appreciate it. I really do. Thanks for hopping on and, and joining us. And I know we got on a 
couple tangents there, guys. But hopefully we'll have Patrick back on next time. And uh, as always, have fun out there, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.